This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Seattle Mariners baseball podcast. I mean, stop, Seager! Toss on up the first in time to get seven. Three-run homer. Robinson can off the lefty specialist Fernando Abad, and the Mariners lead it five to four. Goodbye baseball. Straight away center field. Cano and Cruz go back to back. And the King, when the Mariners needed him the most, two hits over seven scoreless innings. Now here's your host Gary Hill. Welcome back to the Seattle Mariners Baseball Podcast. A little loud where I am, but I wanted to make sure that there was a podcast for today. So I'm recording right before we hop on the bus, head to the airport home. We're going to get in, I don't know, 3 a.m. Quick turnaround for Texas coming up tomorrow at Safeco Field. But what a nice win for the Mariners. Bounce back after a tough weekend for more than one reason. Losing 2-3 to the Tigers, but also losing Robinson Cano as well. So roll through the highlights of this one, reaction of this one. We'll get some Robbie reaction as well. So a lot to get to in this podcast. Yeah, so here we go. Let's let's dive into this. It was a great start. LeBlanc was outstanding in this one. The 2-2 to Buxton. There's a swing and a foul tip into the glove of Zanino. There's strike three. The third strikeout for Wade LeBlanc. He's been tremendous tonight here in Minnesota. That's it for the Twins in the bottom of the fifth. No runs, a hit. Only the second off of LeBlanc. Here comes the 1-2. Hard hit, but right at Healy, who smothers it. Takes one step backwards, steps on the bag, and that is the inning. LeBlanc has rolled six scoreless innings against the Minnesota Twins here in Minnesota. I'd say it's pretty similar to the last couple of outings. Um, just kind of getting in, getting in that routine of uh, every fifth day, you know, when you're going to take the ball, getting your bullpens in between, all that good stuff. Um, but I wouldn't say it was necessarily building to this because I think there's still a lot of things I can I can get better at today. Uh, today wasn't great. I got to a lot of two-strike counts. wasn't great at putting guys away. Um, so that's one thing we can work on. Uh, but just continuing to be aggressive and, and trust the defense, trust the catcher, and let everything fall where it may. How much of that today is just not kind of being in a rhythm from the get-go with the delay and just kind of the way that everything played out at the beginning? Uh, I think I think being, being a, a bullpen guy for a while kind of it gets you used to, you know, back and forth waiting and you know it, it, it's not necessarily the routine of having to start the game at 7-10 like I can be okay with with kind of hey we're going in this amount of time okay good so uh, I think that was kind of a blessing in disguise of being in the bullpen and getting used to that. You've had a one nothing game those are pretty tough and pretty special bullpen mentality probably comes in a little handy when you've got yeah. no room for error every inning up there. Yeah I mean it makes Makes every pitch mean something, which is, you know, every pitch always means something. But, you know, games are always decided, especially up here. Games are always decided with two or three pitches here and there throughout the game. And 
you don't really know which ones they are until after you watch it again or look back on it. So um, just understanding that every pitch means something, you know, especially for a guy like me, I have to make every pitch count. So. What does that do for you to be able to get out and pitch multiple innings every five days and, and have that opportunity, whereas it's in the past every three, every four days, and to go out there and really be able to kind of work on stuff as you're helping out the team? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't know if I can necessarily work on stuff while I'm out there. i gotta, I got to use what i got to get as many outs as I can. But it, it's nice to kind of understand that you can set somebody up for the next at-bat or kind of feel your way into a game as opposed to coming in and it's it's somebody else's rhythm and somebody else's flow that you have to jump into so uh, it's a little different but it's, it's the mentality stays the same but how difficult was this i mean tonight sitting around waiting after a road trip in which you've had you know, a postponement a double header and, and all this stuff that's just kind of materialized over the last week or so Especially with going home. I mean, I mean you'd, you'd like to get the game started on time so we can get on the plane and get back home and get ready for tomorrow. But at the same time, we can't really control the weather, and neither can they. So they're dealing with it the same way we are. Um, we just understand that game starts when it starts, and as long as you're out there and, and competing, you'll be fine. Snap said that Pazos was sick all day, and um, yeah. yeah, you're aware of the situation. <laughs> yeah. What was it like for you knowing that he went through that and still was able to perform? It's pretty impressive. It's pretty impressive understanding uh, what he was going through all day today. I mean, I think from the from the second he woke up, he, he wasn't feeling great. He had some some issues going on, but um, that's who Paz is. Wait, the first time through the lineup went pretty smoothly. What kind of adjustments did you make uh, the next couple of times through? Um, adjustments kind of have to do with with what adjustments they make, and you you kind of keep an eye on on their swings and their approaches and. What they're swinging at what they're looking for, and then you kind of go off of that. The two strikeouts that you had at the end of the day, you strand the two runs on base. Where did you see from the batters to make your approach the way you did? Um, you just kind of see, like I said, what they're what they're looking for, what they're trying to do to you. So uh, you take that and you kind of go from there. Bullpen tremendous as well to close this one down. Here comes the two-two pitch, swung on, popped up. It's playable, short right field. Beckham is under it, waiting for it to drop out of the night sky. Makes the catch just above the ball cap, and that is the inning. Some fancy pitching there from James Pazos. Another zero on the board. We head to the eighth. Nothing, nothing the score. Of course, got a little help along the way to get their first run in in the eighth inning. Here's the pitch. Hansiger lays down the bunt, back to the mound, taken by Morrison, no play at third, wide throw to first, gets on by Dozier, down the right field line, Gordon will score, up with the ball is Kepler, the throw to second, Segura slides and he is safe at second base. Holy smokes, a throwing error by first baseman Logan Morrison, D. Gordon will score all the way from second on the throwing error, the Mariners have a 1-0 lead and Segura winds up on its second base, how about that? And Edwin Diaz closes it down. Tremendous win for the Mariners. one nothing. the final score in Minnesota. The road trip is over. Winning road trip. And now coming back home to face, on the, te- uh, face the Texas Rangers. 7-10 first pitch. Diaz stares down the sign from Zunino. Here we go. The set. The 2-2 to Escobar. Swing and a miss. Strike three. Fastball at 98. Diaz strikes out the side. Sugar, how sweet it is. Save number 14 as the Mariners shut out the Twins tonight. Here in Minnesota by a score of one to nothing. 
Well, I can tell you that Dee Gordon would be very upset if we did not start the conversation with Wade LeBlanc. He was insistent upon talking about Wade, and rightfully so, the effort of Wade tonight and how he's built on the last couple of starts. Yeah, you know, Wade LeBlanc was outstanding tonight. It really kept him off balance all night. Really good game plan, but he stuck to it. You know, he executed his pitches, and, you know, we got a little bit more than what we were hoping to get out of him, which was great. You know, he still seemed like he had uh, plenty left to go, running back out there for the sixth inning, and he got through it, and then, uh, you know, just awesome job. But, uh, the job that James Pazos did for us tonight. So James Pazos is really sick. He's under the weather, food poisoning. He's thrown up all day. Didn't know if he'd be available. Uh, he went out, got us, you know, through the seventh, and came right back in and went right back in the bathroom. So uh, it says a lot, you know, uh, guys stepping up like that. They don't feel like they're on top of their game or even feel good. So not a big offensive night tonight. It was all about pitching and defense. D said that he didn't feel locked in during the course of the game. A little bit of maybe the delay and just kind of a tough time getting going. Did you? feel that for the rest of your team? You, know, you, you got to give their, their pitcher a lot of credit. Odorizzi threw the ball well. You know, he, he expanded. He went north and south on us today. A lot of high fastballs and the split fingers. But, uh, you know, we didn't get much going offensively. We had some leadoff doubles. And we stranded them out there uh, until we finally got a bunt down, moved some guys over, and, and put a little pressure on them. And we got a break. They made an error, and that's what it took tonight. But it was about our pitching, and no doubt. James Pazos has earned the right to start pitching you know, in the back end. He's been one of our most dominant guys. Um, he's found something in his delivery, and he's going right after him with the fastball. The fastball's got a lot of life. Uh, but more importantly, I, I, I like how he's wired. And uh, tonight, given the effort he did, you know, says a lot about him. And you know, we're going to need him here as we continue to go. We're going to play a lot of these tight games here uh, for a little while, and our bullpen's going to be key for us. Scott, you know, often see an American League team punt in the eighth inning. The way the thing was transpired, you kind of feel like that was really the only way to get a run at that point. Yeah. Did you see our situational bats before that? <laughs> it got to the point. I did, yeah. yeah it, it got, we we had a struggle moving runners today with those leadoff doubles, and uh, you know, Gene did a good job, got the ball down. Good for us that D Gordon was on second base. He's not be tough for anybody throwing him out at third, and you know, then they made a mistake after that. So, uh, you know, you got to play a little game once in a while, and our guys got it done tonight. Gamble had the double, hit one to the wall, had the walk. Is he starting to come yeah, yeah, very, very good signs out of, of uh, Ben Gamble tonight. You know, talked to him a little bit before the game and you know, just trying to, to get him to be who he is, you know, putting a little pressure on himself, trying to do too much to get it going. And, you know, uh, got a, a wise man in our clubhouse today said, you know, he, he really should play how he looks because he looks like he doesn't care. <laughs> so he's not playing that way. And uh, I think we saw, you know, hopefully – Signs in the right direction tonight for Ben Gamma. Who was the wise man of both us? Um, a wise man. <laughs> this is the week that was. A look back on highlights and events of the Mariners past week. On Mariners Magazine. Here's the next offer. Swung on, broken bat, soft liner into center field, and coming up and diving Gordon, and he makes the catch. D. Gordon coming up in time, going to a knee, reaching forward to make the catch, and that will retire the side. These guys made plays behind me all night, and this really belongs to them, too. It was really an amazing game for all of us, and there's plays being made all over the infield, outfield. Swinging a chopper past the mound, charging the shortstop on the run. Segura, the throw to first, and it's in time to get Gurriel hustling up the line, and that's it for Gurriel and the Blue Jays here in the bottom of the fifth inning, and James Paxton on a very special night, continues to roll on here in Toronto. You know, it's kind of weird how things like that work out in, in baseball and in life. 
you know, you can, you know, you can't really write the script for it. Uh, but you know, as the game got going along last night, I, I felt early in the ball game, I would think probably in the, the fourth, fifth inning, you look up there, oh, we don't have any, they don't have any hits yet, you know, and then you start watching a little bit more intently and and locked in on the certain pitches, and you know, I just saw sitting next to, to Mel Stottlemyre last night. Mel's a nervous wreck. He wants that <laughs> no hitter so bad for Pax, and and those guys work so closely together. So you know, I was trying to joke with him last night. And he would not crack a smile late in that ball game, which was it was a lot of fun. Here comes the 2-2 pitch. Swing and a miss. That was sick. Not fair on that pitch. The cutter in the dirt. No chance for Donaldson. He goes down with a helpless cut. The fifth punch out for Baxton. He goes one, two, three here in the sixth. He is dealing. I honestly felt like it was one of my own kids. In the seventh inning, it really hit home after we make those those defense great defensive plays. And I started to think after that, got some breaks, some hard hit balls at guys, made some good plays that it is his night. And I was glued into every pitch. I'm just so happy for him, you know. I spent a lot of time with him, and and, uh, he's been through a lot. He's come a long way as a pitcher, and that was by, by far the most gratifying night I've ever experienced on a major league field as a coach. Here comes the 1-1. Swung on a chopper to the left side. Segura scoops it up. Long throw across. It's low. Healy scooped it. And he is out at first. What a play by Healy. That was not easy. A magician at first came up with the baseball. Tremendous play. Healy had some ridiculous picks at first. I mean, that that was amazing. Maxson has his sign. Here comes the 2-2 pitch. Swung on, hit hard. Seeger dives. He's near the line. He's got it. The throw to first. It is in time. An incredible play by Kyle Seeger. He dove on the line at third, scrambled to his feet, and threw a rocket to first. Scoop by Healy. And that is it for Pilar and the Blue Jays here in the seventh. What a play by Kyle. And it continues as James Paxton is just six outs away. You know, Seager does that all the time. You know, I, I don't I don't think he gets enough credit for for the kind of player he is in Major League Baseball. And, and, um, but, yeah, I saw that play in, in – in, um, Generally, you get one or two of those type plays, you know, for anybody to throw no hitter. Here's the pitch. Swung on fly ball in the left center field deep. Gamble going back to the warning track near the wall. He's there. Leaps up. And he makes the catch. Holy smokes, Ben Gamble up against the wall. A leaping, running grab way back into left center field. Hauls it in, and there's one away. Russell Martin hits the ball in the gap, and I was like, no, I can't get to it. I can't get to it. And when I take my head, look, take my eyes off it and look down to see where it's going to drop, Gamble was there. I was like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, because there was no way I could make it there. Here's Kendrys Morales. The pitch swung on line drive left center field. Gordon over. He's there. Makes the catch as he slides, and he hangs on to it for the second out of the inning. Uh, yeah, I was ready to break my neck on, on anything. Anthony Alford leads it off with a swing and a pop-up down the right field line. Foul ground on the run. Hanniger is there, and he makes the catch. One pitch and one away. By far the, the, the coolest moment in my baseball career. Um, really cool that it happened with somebody that I've gone so long through this organization with and I've seen grow tremendously. Uh, it's just something so cool to share and uh, something he's put a lot of hard work in and, and no one deserves it more. Here's the windup and the 0-2 on the way. Swing and a miss, strike three. Strikeout number seven for James Paxton. He has retired 15 in a row. He has retired 25 of the last 28 Blue Jays. He is one out of 
Packers history. I am just as thrilled and excited to see James throwing 100 miles an hour in the ninth inning, going right after guys. You know, I, I, the tendency would be I need to make perfect pitches. I'm this far. I don't want to make a mistake. Go back and you look at the ninth inning. How many of those pitches were right down the middle? Mm -hmm. It was good luck to you. I'm going to finish this thing off. And I give James all the credit in the world, even though he had some great plays behind. Paxton ready. Here's the windup and the 0-2 pitch. Swing and a one-hopper to third. Seager's got it. Toss across. Ball game is over. James Paxton has just thrown a no-hitter. The big lefty is getting mobbed out of the mound. The lefty from Lander, British Columbia, has thrown the sixth no-hitter in the history of the Seattle Mariners franchise. The young man from British Columbia throws a no-hitter against the Blue Jays north of the border here at Rogers Center in Toronto. Pretty amazing. I mean, it's very special to do this thing in Canada. I mean, there couldn't have been a better place, you know, other than maybe Safeco. But Canada is... Uh, very special, especially being home. I got some friends here, some family, so uh, that's that special also. with Jim Brower and Jim I wanted to revisit a conversation that we had in spring training and that was kind of a time when you were starting to kind of gather a lot of numbers and data on a lot of the pitchers uh, to use in a lot of the things that you're doing in the bullpens and in game and uh, to kind of correct when you see things go wrong where are you in that process right now it, again you're laying foundational stuff you know starting to use information in game you know what pitch works you know, for one pitcher, best against this one hitter. And you're just trying to really kind of fine-tune game plans. You know, you're trying to make the best opportunity possible for that guy when he comes in. This is a pitch you want to leverage more than this pitch, and here's the reason why. And there's some really cool things that, you know, the front office puts together and they send down. Are the pitchers using the best pitches versus that hitter? And sometimes it's, it's as simple as, you know, Paxton throws his fastball, plays really well against this guy. Not a shocker because his fastball is outstanding. But there's some other sneaky ones where if you have um, a Vincent, you know, his forcing fastball will play a little bit better than a cutter in this situation because of this player's swing, the history against him, and there's a lot of different factors that play into that. And so what you do is try to leverage that. And I think we're starting to, to use that a little bit more often. The catchers are starting to understand a little bit more about, you know, using, you know, just because a pitch isn't, you know, going to be highlighted doesn't mean you don't use it, just you use it in a different way. And so it, it's a slower process because you want to make sure pitchers are comfortable when they go out there. You you want them to feel that their best stuff is being put out there on a nightly basis and you're not asking them to do something that's really off of what they're normally asked to do. And so it is a kind of a blending at this point, but it's also for me making sure that all the information coming in is valuable and valid and it's going to be a lot easier to give to the players and for them to accept and to buy into when they see the results. What does this look like in-game? In-game is, you know, where I sit. If there's anything that we got to make sure that we're specific on, hey, let's make sure that we, we really work on this pitch, on this batter with this reliever coming in. Um, Scott will go out there and, you know, talk to the catcher saying let's make sure we focus on this pitch and 
um, if there is one, you know, sometimes there is, sometimes there isn't. It's, it's still a game of, you know, making pitches and you know, if you throw pitches down the middle, whether this pitch may play or not, you still have to execute. And so execution still is number one. And then the next part of that is, is there a better pitch than this count? So it's, it's slowly but surely kind of just making its way to um, in-game, the catchers and, you know, just the process itself. Right, we're going to use your brain and your expertise on this one a little bit. We talked about technology and spring training, and I think that one of the pitching term this year that has really come to the forefront is tunneling. And, and I've seen how you can show that. A little bit tough to talk about it on radio, but kind of explain to folks what that is and how you use that. Gotcha. Tunneling is, at the end of the day, you want to release every pitch in the same spot. So if you're a, a starting pitcher, you have a fastball, curveball, changeup, you want to try to release it in the exact same spot so that the hitter doesn't doesn't see a difference in is it a little bit lower, a little bit higher, so they can't get a read on it. So the ideal to that is, and that's where if you come to the ballpark, you'll see these track man units. They're big black square boxes behind old plate. Um, and what that does is that's the information I look at to make sure that if a Bradford comes in, it'll show a release height. And if the release height on a, on a fastball is 5 feet 2 inches and his changeup is 6 feet, obviously there's a big separation there. So that's a conversation like, listen, you, your fastball is in one spot, but you're really getting way too high on a changeup. And these hitters are so good that they will they can pick up on stuff like that. And so... The idea is that you can use numbers, you can use video to figure that one out as well. You can go back and look, called overlays. Uh, it's really cool. Brian DeLunis has done that a lot, especially in the private sector, where it'll just show when he throws. Um, you can take three videos of a fastball, curveball, changeup. You just you know overlay these these three, and the ideal is that when you stop it at release, everyone looks the same. And it's really cool when you see video. I know on YouTube there was years ago a one on you Darvish, and you Darvish has you know seven different pitches. And when you go you Darvish and tunneling, you'll see that all seven his windups are overlaid, so it looks a little fuzzy. And next thing you know, you, they stop it, and you'll see his hand is in the same spot, and every one of the pitches that he releases, and these pitches do wildly different things. Some rise, some sink, some cut. Uh, and that's, as a pitcher, we're trying to be as deceptive as possible, so we don't want to give away anything. So tunneling is letting go of the ball in the same place with all your pitches. And it's so valuable to the pitchers if they can actually see that, and that kind of shows them just how tough it is for the hitter. It is, and hitting is, is really a challenge, but they're, they're so used to seeing if there's anything different. I'm not saying that they, can, they can't perceive a two-inch difference in arm height and release. They can sometimes feel something different. And that's when they kind of check down, like, man, how they not swing at that pitch that's so close? Something might have been just a little different. And it, when that happens, uh, sometimes it's, you know, we want to be as deceptive as possible. And if for whatever reason that's not happening, you know, sometimes it is that you're changing your arm slot on different pitches and hitters are somehow picking it up. And now you can discover it like that rather than taking a few days or a few outings. Or... It, that's, that's the cool part about this is that um, in – when I say old school, like when I was coming up, video, like pitch-by-pitch pitch video was everything. But you couldn't really get an overlay. You have a sense of a feel of something, but at the end of the day, you just don't know. Because mm -hmm. you're watching video, and at the time, it wasn't HD, so it's, everything's a little grainy. There's no way to pick up, you know, those kind of subtle differences. But I get a, a, a printout maybe a day or two after the, an outing, and I can see this guy when he comes in the game, his arm slot starts up too high, and then by the end of the game, it's too low. we got to find a way to make 
you know, and that's where you give him all that information. He works on it in the bullpen, and all of a sudden you see, you know, the results, and it's you can see it. And you can't. It's not just well. I think it got better. I can show you if it did or didn't. And then obviously we'll let the hitters decide if hitters are getting out. Then I'm in a good place. If they're not, then we try to find if there's anything we can do to help. Fantastic stuff. Thank you, Jim. See you later. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.